Welcome to Operation Shoestrings 2021 Conversation About Community, our 15th annual public dialogue about issues and opportunities facing our community and shaping our work at Shoestring. What does it mean for a child or a community to thrive in Jackson? And when I say thrive, I mean, what, what is your immediate reaction to that word? What does it mean for you? Well, I'll go first. Um, so when I hear thrive, I think happy. And when I think about kids being happy, when I think about my kids being happy, I think there are two foundational components to that, and that's security and stability, right? You start there, and then there are all these other components that sort of go into that, but that's where I start. Chuck, what about you? Um, I certainly would say everything that Letitia just said. Um, and also, um, when I think about children thriving, uh, one word that rises up for me is the word welcome. Um, all children uh, feeling welcome and embraced. Um, uh, everyone who has the, has the power to draw a circle drawing a circle that is uh, wide enough for, for every kind of person uh, to feel welcome and valued and at home. Michelle, what about you? For me, of course, echoing what everybody has already said, I think if I were to add something to it, it would be um, the, a feeling of, of safety um, which I think is central to thriving. And additionally, I would say, um, when I think of thriving, it's more than just existing, right? Like if you say thriving, that means that you're doing really well. Um, so you're not just barely getting by. And I think um, one of the things that we see is so many people now, even in the light of the pandemic, feel like they've been barely getting by, just barely making it. Um, so when I think about thriving though, I think about there being hope. Um, that there's there's something that you're looking forward to and and the environment that you're in actually is an environment that is lifting you, that is propelling you, that is enriching you to the point that you're doing more than just getting by. And that makes me just kind of want to ask a natural follow-up question, Michelle. Can you think of a time when you've actually seen that happening, like an example, whether it be through your, your personal life as a parent or um, in practicing medicine? Oh, well, I mean, absolutely. I, I think about um, how people come in and, and sometimes they, they, they appear broken or downtrodden and how sometimes just simple acknowledgements of, of what they're experiencing, taking the time to listen um, giving them information, providing clarity, um, and letting them know that they're not alone and that you're supportive of them, um, even as they're going through difficult times, can change the way that that person actually thinks or feels. Um, and, and you have that shift in their own perspective that kind of helps them to respond different, differently to their environment. And so I think, again, central to that is this concept of, of hope. And, and what is it about your environment that either makes it seem hopeless or what is it that actually allows you to see opportunity around you? Um, and so I, 
there are probably a million um, individual experiences that I've had like that, but I've also seen it where people have come in feeling really, really desolate and they've been just wanting to find somebody who can instill a little seed that will propel them forward or give them a reason to keep going or to, to find hope or joy in their existence. And so I think that's something that you really need a community in order to find, because sometimes you can't provide that for yourself. I, I agree a hundred percent with what Michelle said, you know, happiness to me is um, not to be burdened, right. Unduly to have a space where you can think and you can relax and you can make good choices. Um, I'm a bankruptcy attorney. So I see people at the very beginning of the most stressful points in their lives. And sometimes when we get to the end of that process and they get their discharge, I'm looking at a whole new person. Um, we underestimate, and of course, Michelle, you're the doctor. Um, what stress does to us though, I feel. Yeah. So somewhat stress and life, of course, I know can never be stress-free but I feel like there are so many things that our society imposes undue stress. And if we had some safety components, especially for those individuals at the bottom, we could make their lives a whole lot better. And Chuck, I don't know if you wanted to add anything. Yeah, Kaylee, when you asked the question about um, specific places and ways that, um, that thriving uh, happens. Um, I, I did think about Operation Shoestring and I thought specifically about uh, summer mornings when um, there is breakfast, uh, you know, pre-COVID when we could all converge. Um, uh, breakfast, which is you know, good and nutritious and delicious, uh, followed by safe and welcoming times of singing and artwork and um, asking children what they're interested in, in an environment where it's fine to be interested in whatever you are interested in, what makes you feel creative and excited, what draws you just raising those kinds of questions with children. Um, I think the questions themselves call forth that which is deepest and best in children. So, you know, some of that feels very programmatic, right? Do we have a space in which to have that kind of gathering? Do we have the staff? What kind of money is required to make that happen? Um, but it's out of that very programmatic kind of infrastructure that safe spaces are created where children can thrive. I think we want to all figure out possible solutions or ways that anyone, whether it be the three people on this panel or anyone watching could help children do this. But Chuck, like you said, it doesn't just, a kid just doesn't wake up and feel safe or, or feel stress-free. There's a lot of thinking on the front end, I think that goes into that. And so I don't know if any of you guys have thought about or seen or, or already do this in your natural life, steps you take or, or have seen people take that make children or create this, this environment where kids feel safe and supported. 
I think the, the first part of that is, um, and it sounds kind of, it's fundamental. I think the first part is, um, is them feeling loved. And I think everything else kind of stems from that. Um, and the beauty of, of love, especially as it applies to children is that it can come from, it can come from anywhere. And, um, and I say that children are like love sensors, like they so positively respond to even if it's a, whether it's a newborn baby, a touch, a caress, the magic of Chuck Poole um, <laughs> when they're most upset. Like it's, it is amazing how receptive children are to attention and to love and positivity. I, I am not underestimating the difficulty that some may have in creating that or consistently showing that um, in the midst of all the other stressors of life. But um, I think first and foremost, that's it. To say, to, to, to name it, to say that, that children are important and they matter. And then to each and every child to say, and for that child to, to see and to hear and to feel that they matter and that they're important and that they're loved. I think that's the foundation and everything else kind of comes up, comes on top of that, builds on that. Actually, I have another follow-up question to that, but if anyone else had anything they wanted to add um, before I move on, you're more than welcome to. I just want to say, um, building on what Michelle said, just sort of like if kids are able to come from homes like that and then walk into school buildings that are bright and their spaces and to engage with adults that value them, then I think it's all a level of building. It's building self-esteem. Um, it's, you know, it's building who they're going to be 20, 30 years from now. For someone who maybe has no children in their life or, or there's not connect to the city of Jackson, um, why, why is this important? Why should people care about the safety and security of children that maybe they will never meet, they will never run into it, that have no connection to. Why, why, should this, why does this matter? And that's kind of a, a frank question, but I just, wanted, I just want to ask. I'll be glad to uh, take an effort at that. I, I think um, the, the broadest answer, it seems to me, sort of goes to the common good. Um, and I think for, for people of faith, be they uh, Muslims or Jews, Sikhs or Christians, Hindus. I think, um, you know, all is not well for anyone until all is well for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for persons of, of deep faith and for persons perhaps not of faith, but of of good will and good humanity. It just seems to me to be fundamentally true that all is not well for anyone until all is well for everyone. Um, and so it seems to me that, that that's, that's where we begin. Um, and once again, I'm not utopian about that either. I'm sure that people would argue with that premise, but, 
but it does seem to me to be sort of fundamental to, to our life together that um, as, as Robert Langford says, we all rise together. Um, and, and I think we all struggle together and we all uh, suffer together. Um, and um, uh, so as long as, as long as anyone's child is at risk or in danger or left out of the opportunity to thrive, then there is a sense in which everyone's child is left out and suffering and not able to thrive. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how to turn that lofty sounding idea into a policy, but I do believe it's fundamentally true. And so I would say, I would say that's why it matters. I would um, follow up on that just to say that the, dis- the conscious decision to ignore or to um, overlook suffering um, always has consequences. Yeah. Um, it, there are consequences for the person whose suffering might have been alleviated, but I also believe that, that there is something that it does to your soul um, as well. And, and, and I think that it's to, to kind of bring it home in a way that maybe people could relate to. I mean, we see this with, with COVID and, and this whole concept of decisions that, that others make people who don't even know us that can still impact us. Um, We say no man is an Island. And even if you choose to ignore your fellow man, you still don't exist um, totally separate from them. Um, No matter how much a person may desire to separate themselves, it it's just not possible. And, and I don't believe that that's really the intention of the human, like that's not, the human condition. That is not how we as human beings are created to exist. We are intended to be one big wolf pack. Um, And I think the problems come, or we have more problems when we don't see ourselves collectively and start parsing out ways to separate ourselves um, for whatever reason. Thanks for watching today's conversation. Stay tuned because there's another episode and you won't want to miss it.